0: Good morning. This morning we are going to be in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your sons and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God, as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when, when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then dropping down to verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which, which the Lord your God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all of his household. Then he brought us out from there, that he might bring us in, to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he commanded us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us this gift of your voice, your word to us. You've given us instruction on how you want us to live. Lord, that you, You're not in silent to us, Lord, but you speak to us. And we thank you for it, Lord. And we pray this morning that each of us, Lord, Individually and corporately, we would all hear the things you want to say to us. We'd receive it, that it would affect our lives, and we thank you for the the blessing that we get to do this, to to gather as a church, and to study your word. We give you this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, the book of Deuteronomy, I want to bring some context. We're we're jumping in. what might seem like a random book to you, maybe you're not really familiar, maybe you're new to the Bible, and what's going on in, in Deuteronomy? What's, what's the context that, that we're in as we go through these, this passage? Well, I want to go back about a little over 40 years in the history of, of Israel, and 40 years prior to this time, the people of Israel, they're, since they're slaves, they're slaves in the land of Egypt, and, and many of us are probably familiar with the story of Moses, right? Uh, the, the people of Israel, they're in bondage, they're, they're slaves, um, Pharaoh, you know, is putting him to work, and they're crying out to God. God, you know, please save us. Uh, deliver us. And what does God do? God always, always comes through. He sends a man, Moses, and, and ultimately God's the one that's delivering. But he, he sends this man, Moses, and, and these many um, plagues come and, and signs and wonders. And throughout this, this miraculous work, God, God saves he saves, he delivers Israel out of, out of the land of Egypt, out of their bondage, out of slavery. And so they, they leave they leave Egypt, um, you know, they cross the Red Sea, you guys are probably familiar with the story, and they're in the wilderness. And in this time in the wilderness, God gives them the law. He establishes um, these, these ordinances, these laws, a list of things that they're supposed to do. And the law, it, it was very... Uh, it was great. It, there were so many things that the law entailed. It, it entailed laws of morality, things that, that we were supposed to do and things that you're not supposed to do. How we're supposed to interact with God and how we're supposed to interact with one another. The law had rituals, ceremonies, you know, certain, certain things that you were supposed to participate um, and, you know, in ways, ways you're supposed to honor God through different festivities throughout the year. The law included things like what you could eat. You know, no more bacon. No more bacon. Uh, No more bacon cheeseburgers, unfortunately. Uh, All these things that you could eat, you couldn't eat, that God had established for different reasons. And it was very extensive. Very extensive. It might might seem endless. You know, the amounts of laws and things that, civil code, so to speak, that they had to live by. So, God establishes that. But God, he had a plan for them, that he, he had made this promise to Abraham, their descendant, that they would be in the land of Israel. This wonderful land flowing with milk and honey. And so that was the plan, pull them out of Egypt to bring them into the land of Israel. So they're wandering in wilderness in the wilderness, which is just basically south of of the nation of Israel. And they they failed they they failed to enter the land. They were, were were called to go right into the land, but they saw the people in the land, they saw how great and how mighty they were, and they were basically scared. They just they just didn't trust God was going to get them into that land that he would make the way and bring them into the land. And as a result of that, there was a consequence for them failing to trust God. The consequence was they had to wander the wilderness for 40 years until the next generation would rise up and go and take the land. And so here in the book of Deuteronomy, the, that 40 years is pretty much up. It's, it's New Year's Eve, so to speak. It's the eve of a new season that's about to begin. They're getting ready to enter the land that they've been waiting for, for 40 long years, wandering the desert, and now they're going to enter the land. Before they do that, the book of Deuteronomy is basically a series of sermons to prepare them to enter the land. And what Moses does in this, and God, really God speaking through Moses, is he's reviewing their history. Hey, this is, this is who we were, and this is how God delivered us. This is what God has done for us. And he reviews also the law, and this is, what, this is how you're supposed to live as you enter into that land. But what's great about Deuteronomy is it's not just, you know, here's a list of all the rules and the things you're supposed to do and not do. Deuteronomy really gets down to the heart of it. What's it all about? What's the essence of all these commandments? You know, what, what, why are we supposed to obey? You know, all these different things that, and, and maybe even, you know, for us as Christians, we might think, man, this life as a Christian, there's all these things we're supposed to do and all these things we're not supposed to do. What's the point of it? What's the heart behind it all? Well, Deuteronomy addresses those specifically. This chapter, I think, this chapter is really hits a climax in this book with a key verse um, and a number of key things that really get down to the heart of it. Um, so, we're going to be looking at that theme of obedience. Why obey the Lord? What's what's the point of it? That seems to be a big theme in my uh, household these days with young children. Obedience, um, and, and it's just—I think that really doesn't. It's for all of us, for our whole life. You know, we talk about it with our kids all the time, but even as adults, the theme of obeying the Lord, it seems like that's a constant thing that I need to readdress and, and reevaluate in my own life. So starting in verse 1, now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. And the first thing to note is that the Lord is the one that's establishing these commandments. God is giving us. This isn't, you know, a bunch of men having this council together, you know, oh, we're going to start this new society, and what, what are the rules that we want to establish so that we'd have a good society? No, this is God, God, the, the creator of all, who is, is giving us how he wants us to live. So there's no question. It's not, oh, was, was he really, did he really think about, you know, when, when these people made up these rules, was it really the best rule God is making these rules, and God knows how to make the right rules. He knows what he's doing. He's, really, he's a really good creator, and he's the one establishing it. And he's call, calling all of us to observe these commandments and, and these rules. And so verse 2 gives us one of the first reasons why we're supposed to obey the Lord, or what leads us, I should say, to obey the Lord. And it says that you may fear the Lord your God, Keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your sons and your grandsons, all the days of your life. So it's, it starts out with this concept of fearing the Lord. Fear the Lord. We're called to fear God. Now, this idea of fear God, I've, I've seen it trip up a lot of Christians. What does it mean to fear God? You know, people say, well, that, that doesn't make any sense. I, I thought God is love. I thought God, you know, God is merciful and kind and, and he cares for us. Am I supposed to be scared of God? Am I just supposed to be trembling and, and just nervous around him? Well, the word fear in the Hebrew, um, it, it speaks of revering God. Now, it, it does speak of being afraid and, and, and that idea of fear, but it, it also, it's more than that. It, it's this idea of standing in awe of God, having respect for him and 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 giving him the the, the honor he's due at, uh, of revering him. And so when you look at fearing God, really, the idea of fearing God, it all comes down to understanding who God is. Who God is and who we are in light of who he is. See, if we're going to stand in God's presence, what kind of attitude should I have? What kind of attitude? If I'm standing before God, what kind of attitude should I have? The great, awesome, powerful God... And me, uh, 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 this, this lowly man standing in His presence. You know, should I be standing all haughty? You know, chest out and and, and look at you know look at me, and, or, or should I should I be humbled before God and recognize who I am, whose presence I am in? I, the way I, I like to look at it is I like to look at look at the idea of a, of a boss employee relationship. Now, I've, I've had a lot of awesome bosses in my life, great supervisors that, that, that clearly care about me, um, clearly you know, want me to do a good job and, and let me approach them and discuss things. But I haven't had a boss that I haven't been a little bit scared of. Now, some I'm scared of a little bit more than others, but there hasn't been any, every single one of them, always a little bit scared, have a little bit of fear for my boss. Well, well why do I have fear for my boss? I have fear because they have power over my a part of my life, they have power over my career, over my job, and you know they they might call we you know, so many of us have been called in. You know they're they're calling us in. You know, always get a little nervous. What did I do something wrong? You start rethinking the past couple of weeks. What did I what did I do? Am I getting in trouble for something? And and usually it's a good thing. But um, right there's that, that little bit of fear towards that boss, and I would say that that fear I've had for my supervisors has been a really good, healthy thing. See, my fear means I show up on time, I work hard, I, you know, try to do my, do my best, and and, and follow the, the rules that we have in our, in our place of work. Because I, I fear because, I, obviously because I, they have power over my job, and, and if I don't do those things, then I might lose my job, or my job satisfaction might go way down. When you think about You've, many of us have seen relationships where a boss and an employee, they, they become kind of like buddy-buddy. They're just friends. And the employee just shows up whenever they want. And, you know, sometimes they're working, sometimes they're not. You know, they think that, that you know, because of their relationship with the boss, they just, the rules don't apply to them. And that can lead to a very dysfunctional relationship. It could lead to that person losing their job because there's no fear of their boss. And same thing with God. You know, we need to fear him. Yes, he's our friend, and he saved us, and he's merciful to us and gracious to us, but we can't forget he's also the creator. I mean, he made everything, and it's only because of his goodness that we continue to exist. I mean, he's holding—when you think about how big he is and how amazing our universe is and our our earth rotating at, you know, thousands and thousands of speeds and and around— around itself, and then around the, the sun, and all these, these things, and God is holding that together, and any moment he could stop that, but we know, we know he won't because we can trust his word, but he's still that big. We need to recognize how huge he is, and that, that, that brings us a fear and an honor and respect to give him. You know, something I've heard of my generation said a lot is, you know, that that generation shows no respect for their elders, they, they don't respect authority. I've heard that of my generation. And then as I start to get older, now I've said that about the next generation. And, and, um, and, I, and I, I guess get challenged by that. You know, we look at, at those un, you know, the, the youth or others. And just as a side, I think our youth are awesome. I love our youth, and you guys have done a great job of raising them. But, but we look at them and say, hey, how come they don't show any respect? How, how come they're not honoring those above? And what about my own life? Am I showing respect for the ultimate authority, the God of, the God of gods, you know, the king of all kings? Am I showing him the respect and, and the honor that he deserves, the one and only true God? And, and that's what fear of the Lord is about, It's recognizing who he is and honoring him in that. And it says in verse 2 that the fear of the Lord is going to cause us to keep his statutes and his commandments And says, for your son and and your grandson. It starts this theme that we're called to pass these commandments on from generation to generation to generation. We're going to see that throughout this text. But I just want to say, youth, you're in here not just because I'm in here. This message is for you as well. When it says this is for you, your son and your grandson, this message is not just for, for the adults in this room. It's for every one of us. God wants a personal relationship with each and every one of us. He's calling each of us to this. And it says, in verse 2, it says, all the days of your life. That's where it gets me, all the days of your life. See, the nation of Israel, they were kind of bipolar spiritually. You know, in one moment, they're like, they're loving God. God, oh, you saved us out of, out of Egypt. You know, you rescued us. And then they get to the Red Sea, and they see the, the army behind them. And, oh, you brought us out here to kill us, God. Now what? You know, if one minute one minute they're they're loving God, the next minute they're complaining. And, and where? How are you going to save us, God, from this this next you know thing that comes our way? But we're called to obey God all the days of our life, and and I find that for me challenging too. You know, one moment, God, He's 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 so faithful, He's so good, and man, I I did all my quiet times this week, my devos, man, it's a good week. And the next week, you know what happens? You know what God's calling us to this faithful consistent, regular walk with him, that we'd always pursue him fully with every bit of our being. So it says also that um, that your days may be prolonged, Therefore, hear O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. So we see this this other reason that we're called to obedience. It's not just because we fear the Lord, but see, it's for our, our own good. When you look at the nation of Israel, he 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 listed out all these commandments, and I love reading through the law of God, the first five books, um, first five books of the of uh, the Old Testament. It's a picture of how God has established this nation to exist. And he established all these rules. And it wasn't just because God, he's, he's large and he wants to be in charge and he just wants to set these rules so you can obey him. He established them for their good. This is, this is how you're to live because it's going to be in your best interest. God doesn't want just to uh, exercise his authority just so he can be, you know, so we'll all just be robots and follow him because that makes him happy. He's given us rules and laws because it's for our good. See, for the nation of Israel, he has these good things in store for them. This this awesome land in Israel, flowing with milk and honey, and he gives us the, these laws so that their lives could be a blessing in the land of Israel. I think about some of the commandments that he gives and and how it really helped them out. God has all these. You know, we read these laws of cleansing and and these weird things that they were supposed to do. Um, but the nation of Israel had a history of actually being, being saved from a lot of different plagues and things that happened because they were so strict with their laws of cleansing. God established those laws, and it turned out for their good. Think about the Sabbath. Hey, listen up, everyone. I want you to take every Saturday off and just rest, relax, rest, and, and focus on me. That's a pretty good law. I mean, that shouldn't be that hard to keep, right? Just, just chill out, you know, hang out with me. That's a pretty good law. God makes these laws, and it's for our good. See, God is a really good daddy. You know, a good parent establishes rules for their kids, rules in their home. And it's not just because, hopefully it's not just because they want a bunch of rules um, just to be obeyed. Hopefully it's for the kids' best interest. When we walk, I have young kids, when we walk in a parking lot, the rule is you hold my hand. My, my kids don't always want to do that, but it doesn't matter. That's a rule. Why? Because if they don't hold my hands, they're little tiny guys, they might get run over. It wouldn't it be for their good. We have a lot of rules about, you know, what they can be exposed to and what they can't be exposed to. And they don't, they don't understand it to them. Why, you know, my four-year-old, he's four, and he's already saying, you know, how come so-and-so gets to do this and, and watch that and get to eat this, you know? And, you know, you try your best to explain it to a four-year-old. They don't, they don't, really, they don't really get it. Um, but, but it's for their best interest. It's for their good. You establish these things because you love them. And we have to recognize that our God, he makes rules for us. And he's not trying to be like the ultimate party pooper, you know, like, you know, want to ruin all your fun. The opposite. God wants us to have true joy in him. And we look and we see people around us and we see all the things that they're doing and we want to partake in it. But God, he knows what's for our best, and he gives us rules and, and laws uh, to live by for our best interest. So we, f- so we fear God that leads us to obedience, and it's, we want to obey God just because it's for our good. Well, continuing in verse 4, and this is kind of the climax of this chapter. Um, this, this little passage, 4 and 5, is known as the Shema. It's, it's a famous uh, verse. If you were Jewish, you would have it, have it memorized. Um, in the Hebrew, and, and it goes like this: Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So many of you are probably familiar with that. You, you maybe recognize, "Hey, I've heard that before in the New Testament somewhere, right?" Jesus, when when he's asked what is the first commandment or what is the greatest commandment, this is what he quotes. Quotes this section. And, and the first part, uh, here, O Israel, the Lord is one. There's one God. And that's really important to recognize. There is only one God. Now, the people of Israel, they just they um, got out of the land of Egypt. In the land of Egypt, many gods. All sorts of different gods that you had to appease. And it's nice to only have one God. So we have one place to look. One place to fix our eyes. One God to honor And to obey, and you know, sometimes people ask, "Well, hey, where does the Trinity fit into this?" Here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Well, when you look at the word for God, Elohim, in the Hebrew, and also the word for one, this, this, these words point to a plurality, the idea of a of both um, a a singularity, but also a pluralness. Okay, the word for God in Elohim uh, means means God's, but he is one God. And so that's where we see the Trinity. I'm not going to go too far in depth in that. But the idea that God, he's one God, but he exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The point is, there's one God that should have our love, should have our attention. And then he says, love him. You shall love your God. And Jesus, when, he, when he's asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment, this is what He says, this is the greatest commandment. And the second is, of course, love your neighbor. Well, Why is this the greatest commandment? Is Jesus saying this is the only commandment? No, he's saying this is the greatest commandment because within this one commandment, all of the other ones exist. You see, if you love God, then you'll obey him. If you love God, then you're going to follow all the other commandments. Because you love him, you want to, you want to honor him. You want to respect him. You want to do what makes them happy. My wife, I, I love my wife very, very deeply. In our home, we have ordinances and statutes, so to speak. They might not be written down in, um, in a book or anything, but we have certain rules that govern our house. A lot of those rules I would have never come up with. I, you know, um, I'm surprised my wife married me after she saw my dorm room, but we have laws of cleanliness in our home, and um, if we weren't married, I wouldn't keep that same level of commitment to those laws, okay? But why do I do them? Because I love my wife. And one of the things I, I really enjoy doing is, some, you know, if she's gone for a couple of days, I love cleaning the house. Now, I actually, to be honest, I hate cleaning the house. Um, it's quite miserable to me. But I take joy in in doing something like that because I know it blesses my wife. And so this activity that normally I might actually despise, now all of a sudden I enjoy. I love it. And that's where we need to be at with the Lord. It's not just obeying him because we have to obey him. It's because we love him. And we love obeying him. And you get to that point in your walk with God where you just kind of get excited about doing the right thing because you just love God. All of the other commandments they hinge on this they hinge on loving God if we really love God we truly love God and it says here with all your heart your soul your strength every bit of our being all of who we are you should love God I'm really into sports uh, I love sports and so in, in sports you have this this statement where you say just leave it all out on the field you know give it your all um, and that's the idea here with love the Lord. Every bit of you, you left it all out. You gave every bit of yourself, every bit of your love, every ounce of your being to love God. And that leads us to obedience, to obey him because we love him. Well, then it moves from there in, in verse 6. And, and um, this, is, this is one of my favorite passages in all, all the scriptures. Um, I think it's kind of like the parent anthem, in my opinion, and, and it's one of the big reasons why I'm involved in youth ministry. I've done children's ministry for a number of years. It's because of verse six through nine. It says, "In these words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. These words." First off, notice the place of, of where we're supposed to put these words. In our, what's, what's the text say? In our heart. In our heart. Now, obviously, it has to, you have to have it in your mind. You have to understand it first. But it doesn't just say, hey, just know all these scriptures. Know, know all these commandments. It says, keep them in your heart. I think about the Pharisees uh, in the time of Jesus, and they, they knew the scripture pretty good, huh? I mean, they knew it with their minds so good. They could just recite it all, and certainly they added some extra things to the, to the law. But, but really, they were committed to knowing the law. And there's, honestly, there's something to admire about that, that they really committed their mind to knowing the law and knowing all the, all the rules that they were supposed to live by. There was something admirable about it. The problem was with so many of the, uh, the Pharisees was they didn't have it committed to their heart. And that's where we need to have the word of God, not just in our mind, but in our heart. Again, like I said, God doesn't want robots that are just following a bunch of rules, but, but really it's, it's not in our heart. God wants to have our heart, and that because of our love for him, that's why we're obeying him. You know, anytime you talk about, about obedience it, today, you, we have to be really careful to make sure that we recognize that we're not obeying God to earn his love. Okay, I need to make this real clear. We're saved because of grace. We're all sinners. We all fail um, at following God's commandments, and, it, and it's because of that that Jesus died for us. Okay, none of us can earn, earn God's love. We're all going to fall short. We're saved simply because of we put our faith in the work of Jesus on the cross and believing in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's how we're saved. End of the story. Okay, there's nothing that we do to earn it. Having said that, we all, that doesn't mean we ignore the commandments. It's quite the opposite. Because of what he's done for us, because of that, now we all the more we want to honor him. And that's why we want to store the word of God into our hearts. We want it sown into our hearts. We have to read it and consume it with our minds and store it into our hearts. And that leads us to, to obey him. Um, and then it continues, and it says, when it talks about, you know, teaching it to your children diligently, to your children, and I I love, I love this passage. I love the commitment it calls us to do. Now, just again, a little bit of context. Moses here, he's not, this isn't a parenting conference. It's not, let's gather all the parents together, and let's give them a conference on how to be good parents. This is speaking to the whole congregation, okay? So if you uh, if you don't have kids, um, th- that doesn't mean you're excluded from this, okay? This is to the whole congregation. We're called to diligently teach our kids to invest in the next generation and the next generation. Now, I, as one with young kids, I'm so thankful to so many of you in this fellowship. You know, you guys, you're, you're teaching my kids in the children's ministry. I am so thankful. I need you to invest in my kids because I can't do it on my own. There's so many things pulling my kids away from God. I need each one of your help. Some of you are teaching them in the classes. Some of you I see, and I'm so blessed, you know, afterwards or during a a agape feast, I see you guys hanging out with them and playing with them. And, you know, as a father, you don't know what that means, especially when I see you guys just really wanting to pour into them and encourage them. It means so much. I need you guys to invest in my kids, and I thank you for doing that. But also, having said that, parents— This responsibility is specifically to us. It's not just to parents, but parents, we need to recognize that our sole responsibility with our kids is investing in them spiritually. That's the most important thing that we do for our kids. Now, I want my kids to do well academically I want them, you know, if they get into sports, I, you know, I want them to achieve and, and, and do well. I want them to have good social skills. Uh, maybe that might be more for me than them. Um, I want them, you know, I want them uh, to, to, to do well in all sorts of different areas of their life. I want them to be prepared for, for whatever future job they might have and, and to be able to do that well and, and to be able to provide and, and, you know, have a good life. I want all those things. But the most important thing is spiritually spiritually. I want them to know Jesus. If, if my kids, they grow up and they can't get a, can't get a career going and, and they don't have the best social skills and, you know, they, academically they're just struggling, but they love Jesus, I'm content. I'm satisfied. But nothing will grieve my heart more than my kids turning from the Lord, turning from God because I didn't invest in them spiritually and pour into them. Now, now, my kids, they have their own will, and I can't force them to believe in Jesus, but I still need to pour into them. I need to, to diligently, he uses that word diligently, teach them. And so parents, grandparents, and just church, we have to be diligent. We have to put effort I mean, it's not just going to happen. It's not just, oh, just take your kids to church on Sunday. And, and you know, I love being the youth leader, but I, I can't, I'm not responsible solely for the youth's spiritual investment, spiritual development. All of us have to do it. Parents, you need to pour into your kids. And as a youth leader, I want you to know, parents of the youth, I want you to know that one of my heart as being a youth leader is for you. How I can support you and help you raise your kids to love the Lord. That's my heart, is to help you, because that's, the, that's what God's called us to do. Invest in them and pour into them spiritually with the Word of God. And so it gives us some details of how to do that. Um, diligently teach your children. Um, talk, talk with them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way. So how are we supposed to invest in our kids spiritually? Now, I don't want to create a yoke for us and say, well, you have to, you know, you have to do these many family devotions a week and, and this time of day or this or that. I don't want to put a yoke on us because I've, I've had those kind of yokes in my life before where people kind of say, oh, you really should be doing this, this, and this, and then we fail and you just feel miserable. Maybe I'm the only one, but that's how I've felt. So I'm not going to say, hey, this is what you have to do. We all have different families. We all have different commitments and, and different, um, you know, jobs and different, different availability. Here's what each of us need to do. We need to be diligent to pray and seek the Lord and let him lead us. But a couple things I want to point out when it says, as you sit in your house, that's one example I want to give that's one of the best times to invest in your kids spiritually as you sit down in your house most of us eat uh, believe it or not I do eat and um, um, when you gather around the table that's a great time to, in, to invest and we have young kids we don't do anything super grand we do Bible memory verse and my kids are memorizing the Bible we just do it, and it's short you know it's like five eight words maybe of a, of a verse and we pray and that's something that, that all of us can do. That's just one example again. I don't want to put that yoke on you. But I do want to say that when you sit down, the scripture points it out, I think because that is a time that we gather as a family. And it is a great opportunity to sow into our kids spiritually. And it says, as you go by your way. I think it's important to note that when we invest in our kids, there's the formal time. You might do maybe some formal family devotions or, or you know, whatever it is, praying for your kids. But there's also these informal times where you never expected these, th- this opportunity to invest in your kid or have this neat conversation. But as you go about your day and as you bring your kids along, whatever you're doing, we need to, to take note of those times when we have an opportunity to, to pour into our kids, and to to use whatever's going on as an example of, of, um, of the Lord and, and to cheer about him. You're eating ice cream. Man, isn't God cool he made ice cream? You know, I mean, ice cream's like the greatest thing ever. And God gave us taste buds and, and milk. And we can make ice cream. You know, wh- whatever it is you're going about your day, that's just kind of a silly one. But we have all these opportunities. And, and particularly if you're going through difficult times, point to the Lord. So we can have formal times where we invest in our kids and informal times where we just... As we go about our, our day, our business, we're reminding them of the Lord. And then also notice it says when you lie down and when you rise up. So what's important to note about that is we, it's the book ends of the day, right? The beginning of the day and the end of the day. So the point here is that your entire life should be consumed with the word of God. It should be in the start of your day and the end of your day. Again, I'm not saying you need to have a, start your morning with, with a devotion and end your night with a personal devotion. I'm just saying that that means the whole day, the Word of God, the Lord, should be central to your day. We should never lose sight of the Lord. Whatever is going on in our day, he should be central and present in our hearts and in our minds. And it also says in verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and shall be front lines between your eyes. Now, again, does this mean we should literally put little um, scripture, write the scripture of uh, the Shema, Deuteronomy um, 6, 4, and 5? Should we write that on a little parchment paper, put it in a box, and strap it around our arms and our heads? Well, that's what the Pharisees did, okay? The Jews, they did that. They, they took this verse um, to that extent, and they put it around their arms, and they wanted to literally have the Word of God, you know, strapped on... You know, maybe nowadays we just tattoo it or something like that. I don't know. Um, but that's what they did. Well, Jesus responded to that. He said in Matthew 23, verse 2 uh, through 5, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, uh, that you observe and do, but they do not do due to their works. For they say, and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, this is speaking of the Pharisees, Jesus talking, they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will move them with one of their fingers. And this is a key verse, verse 5. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. That phylacteries, that's speaking of that, these these things that they would put on their arms and around their head um, of the scriptures to, to live out this verse. Now, Jesus Says, he says, hey, they were doing it just, just to be a show. They were making them bigger so that people could see them, say, hey, look at how spiritual we are. And, and that's not the point here. The point is that it's sown in our hearts, that we're committed to it. Um, you know, we can do this even in our own homes. We can decorate our homes. We can have these beautiful verses around our homes and, and this and that. But our home, spiritually speaking, we, we really, or have we really sanctified it and, and set it apart to God? One of the things that's, that's really sad to me is you go into a home and you see this beautiful Bible. It's just, just this gorgeous Bible. And you look at it and you're like, that Bible has never been touched. You can tell it has never been opened. It's never been used. It's beautiful. It's de- decorative and it looks, looks great and, and looks awesome. But it's never been touched. You know, crosses that we wear and, and um, decorate our homes, they're not magic you know, charms or anything like that, that if you have it, it'll cast out evil spirits. There's nothing magical about it. It's the word of God itself, the actual words that, that is that is powerful. I love seeing a Bible that's that's like hanging, you know, hanging. It's been taped together and, you know, pages are falling out. I think that honors God so much. You see that and you're like, man, that's a Bible well used that's been read and meditated upon. And they're living by it. That is a Bible that's well used. And same, same thing with us. Now, I'm all for decorating our homes. You know, I, I just said that, but... I think it really is good to decorate your home and to have different things if you wear a cross and that kind of thing that reminds you of the Lord and and it's just kind of a good get you back on track throughout your day. Those are good things. And even what the Pharisees did, I think that's actually kind of neat as long as your heart is in it. If you do all those things but just for a show and and not, not because your heart's in it, it's pointless. God wants our heart. He wants the word of God to be sown and to remind us of him. And also, I want to point out that when it says bind them on your hand and on your eyes, I think those, it uses those words for a specific reason. When you think of hands, I think of, of work. I think of what we're doing. When I think of eyes, I think of what we're exposed to, what we're seeing. I think it's really important we recognize that when we bind the word of God to our hands, that means we consecrate our work, the things we do to the Lord, that we work according to the standard of the word of God. What we expose ourselves to, always expose ourselves with filter of the Word of God. Have the Word of God sewn in, in the frontlets of your eyes so that whatever you expose yourself to, whatever you see, you have it with the remembrance of the Word of God. And it says, You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. The doorpost of your house obviously speaks of your own home. Your home should be... Um, marked with the Word of God. They, um, Hebrews did that as well. They put these little, um, I forget they're called like mizzou's or something like that, where they put it in the doorposts. They're really neat. Um, and it would have this scripture in it. And that would, again, remind us our house is to be committed to loving God. Now, as I said before, I can't force my kids to love the Lord. I can't cho- make them choose to accept Christ and put their faith in Him. But I can manage what's allowed in my home. And I can can establish my home so that they hear of the Lord. My kids can choose to accept the gospel or not. They can choose to reject it. I hope they accept it. But they have no say in the matter that they're going to hear the gospel and they're going to hear it a lot in my home. They're constantly going to be told the gospel and be encouraged to surrender their lives to him because that I do have power over. And they're going to hear about the gospel and I pray that they surrender to God and his word. And when it speaks of gates, that speaks of the community. It talks about the, um, you know, so in your house and also at your gates. Um, that speaks of the community. And again, the nation of Israel, they were to be a, a, a community established by God, directed by God. Their whole community, their whole society. Now, of course, we, we don't have that here today um, in our um, greater community of, of whether you want to call it the Valley or California or the U.S. We're not a, a, a nation run by God. Um, but... We do have a church community. We have our own communities that we could say the, the standard for our community is going to be the word of God. And that's what's going to run us and our community. Well, we just don't have time to go through the whole chapter. And I'm sure that pains me a lot more than you. Um... But I, there's, there's, this chapter kind of continues with this theme, continues with this idea of, of obeying the Lord, and it cautions against um, disobeying him and, and all these other things. Um, and, but verse 20, I want to jump back in to the text in verse 20. It says, When your sons ask you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the ju- judgments which the Lord your God has commanded you? Then you shall say, So God has established that the law and all these festivities, um, Passover and these different things, that would create intrigue. Our kids would ask the question, why do we do this? Now, if you've ever spent any time with a young, young child, you've probably heard the word, why. Probably heard it a few too many times. Our oldest now, he says, why, 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 why. He does it in this like, series about five times. And then he says, why do I keep saying why? I don't know, son. <laughs> it's a mystery. Please, uh, any insight you have, I'd love to know. They ask, why? 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 And we can get kind of frustrated and annoyed with it. Um, but, but God has established the testimonies and these commandments for the kids to ask why. One of the rules we have in our, in our youth group, and I've encouraged the youth, ask questions. I want them to ask me questions. I want them to challenge me. I want them to ask, why is it this way? Why does it say this? What's, you know, what's the point of it? They have freedom to ask questions in our time together. Now, they know they have to ask it, you know, in, with a good attitude, not just asking, you know, whatever, um, just, you know, bitter questions, that kind of thing, but, but genuine questions, I want them to ask. I want them to challenge what I'm saying and, and say, is this true, and, and ask about it. Youth, I want you to ask your parents questions. I want you to ask them, why do you come to church? W- what's, this, what's this about? Why do we do these things? Okay, now you're going to ask it with a good attitude, okay? And here's the other thing I expect of you. You are going to listen. You're going to listen with a sincere heart, and you're going to hear what they have to say. You're going to let them explain themselves, okay? Parents, don't be worried. Okay, they know when they ask me questions, I will answer as best as I can. They know that I don't have all the answers, and that um, some things I have to go and and maybe ask others, or I might have to research a little bit, and and we'll figure it out together. So we don't have all the answers. But... I also want to encourage you that God gives the nation of Israel a script. Here's what you're supposed to say. Okay, so you ready, parents? When they ask you why you do what you do, I have the answer for you right here. Continues in verse 21. Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed us signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all of his household why do we keep these commandments? What were they supposed to say? Because God delivered us. He saved us. We were slaves. We were in bondage. God delivered us. That's why we keep these commandments. That's the point of all of this. It's because God has delivered us. It's the same for us. Why do we do this? Why do we keep the rules? We talked about we obey God because we fear the Lord. We obey God because it's for our good. We obey God because we love him and we love doing what, what, what pleases him. But We also obey God because he's delivered us. He's saved us. Every sinful thing, every wrong thing I've ever thought, said, or done, or will do, Jesus wiped that all the way on the cross when I placed my faith in him. And as a result, as a result of all that he's done for me, I want to live for him. I want to say thank you, God, and one of the ways I say thank you, God, is by being obedient. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes all the time. I ask my wife. I'm constantly messing up. But I try. I try to obey him. I try with, with every bit to love God, to honor him because he's delivered us. And that's what our kids need to hear. We need to remind our kids what God has done for us and continue to remind them. Because, you know, the people of Israel, they forgot. They, they constantly forgot and they needed to be reminded, what has God done for us? He's done so much, but we forget. So we got to keep review it, remind it to them. And lastly, verse 23 says, Then he brought us out there, and, and, and notice this. He brought us out from there, speaking of Egypt, that he might bring us in. He brought us out of there, Egypt, that he might bring us in. See, for the nation of Israel, it wasn't just God taking them out of Egypt. That was only part of it. He delivered them from Egypt— But that wasn't the end point. The end was to get them into Israel, into this land flowing with milk and honey and and great blessings as long as they would be obedient, as long as they would follow the Lord, great blessings lay waiting for them in Israel, in the land. They brought them out that they might bring bring them in. And so too for us. See, God, he, he saved us. But that's not all. It's not just him delivering us from the penalty of sin. If you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, he has delivered you from the penalty of sin. But he has so much more for us. He wants to bring us in to a land, a land of abundance, uh, the abundant life God has called us to. And maybe many of you, we feel like, you know, man, I've been saved, but how come this life, I just feel like I'm walking in a wilderness. It's just dry and, and, and just doesn't feel like this is what it was supposed to be. Well, God has called us to not just be delivered from our sin in that life of bondage, but to be brought into the abundant life, okay? And part of that is obeying him and fearing him and loving him. And as we we do that, we are going to find spiritually that it is land flowing with milk and honey. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have trials. We know as Christians that we're not immune from trials and sicknesses. We have those things. So physically, it might not be so abundant, uh, financially it might not be so abundant, but spiritually speaking, we are promised an abundant, rich, deep, awesome life in Christ. But We got we to gotta obey him. If we don't, we're going to be miserable. We have to obey him and fear him and love him and serve him and want to do those things. Not just do it because we're told to, but because we delight in God. We love him because he's been so good to us. Well, as we about to go to prayer, um, before we do that, if you haven't accepted the gift of Jesus, all these things I'm talking about, this abundant life, that's, that's not available until you accept the gift of Jesus. The Bible just teaches us that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's, God's standard. God's perfect, and, and uh, we all fall, each one of us. None of us are, are perfect. And that, that sin, that separates us from God. The Bible says the penalty of sin is death. And our due for our sin is eternal separation from God. And God wants a relationship with each one of, of us. And in order to have that, sin had to be paid for. And so God, he sent his son Jesus, and he took our sin and he placed it upon Jesus, and he died the death we deserve and that we could be forgiven. But that gift of Jesus, that gift that we've all been celebrating with Christmas this past you know couple of weeks, that gift, we have to accept that gift. We have to put our trust, our faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross, believing in his death, resurrection, resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection. And as as we do that, we've been forgiven. So that's a choice we all have to make. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your great love that, that we can love you because you first loved us we can obey you because you've been so good to us, Lord. Your, your commandments are good. Your law is so good. It's perfect. And Lord, we want to be obedient because you've been, been so great to us, Lord. You've saved us and you've redeemed us. So, Lord, help us in this year, 2014, that we delight in serving you and that we make our homes established on you and on your word.